Now, that begs the question is, when do tips perform or when do you want to own tips? And, and, and the short answer is you want to own tips when the Federal Reserve starts cutting the interest rate. Why is that? It's the opposite. Instead of reducing inflation expectations, in that instance, when they cut the interest rate, they're trying to reflate the economy. And that's when you want to own tips. Hey, everyone, this is ETF.com's Exchange Traded Friday's podcast, where we talk about the latest developments in the ETF industry. I'm Sumit Roy, Senior Analyst here at ETF.com. We got a great show with a great guest today. His name's Neil Azus, and he's the founder, managing member, and chief investment officer at Rareview Capital. He also serves as portfolio manager for the Rareview ETFs, a few of which we're going to be talking about today. Neil, thanks so much for joining me. You're welcome. Thanks, Sumit. Pleasure to be here with ETF.com. Absolutely. So, Neil, I want to start with your inflation deflation ETF, because this is the topic that's top of mind for a lot of people today. As I understand it, this fund invests in either tips or normal treasuries. How does it work? Sure. So the Rareview Inflation Deflation ETF, it's a strategy uh, that uses the full toolkit of fixed income products, both cash and derivative instruments. And this could include inflation-related products like TIPS, or as you just mentioned, traditional nominal U.S. treasuries. And, and, and what the strategy does is, is it targets three sources of active risk. And what I mean by that is, is that we're usually running three different, quote-unquote, return streams. Number one, and most importantly, we want to find the right beta or market index exposure in fixed, in, fixed income that maps to the current regime that we're in. And then we'll apply a set of long positions or short positions, depending on the regime that we're in. The second one or the second return stream is more alpha oriented, unlike the other one, which was more beta and market oriented. This one takes strategies or bets on the shape of the yield curve. Very simply is the yield curve steepening or flattening. And then the third one is also an alpha generation strategy um, which uh, uh, buys uh, uh, option strategies that have asymmetric payout ratios uh, that make bets at different phases of the Federal Reserve tightening, tightening or hiking. Uh, sorry, tightening or loosening cycle. And, and collectively, we believe you know these three diversifies, diversifying sources of risk should improve the strategy's risk-adjusted returns. So that's the the basics. We're using the full toolkit of fixed income both long and short, both cash and derivatives. And we are using three different return streams that add different sources of return, either beta or alpha, to take advantage of the environment we're in, the shape of the yield curve, or where we're at in the Federal Reserve cycle. Interesting. And, and so what's going on with the fund today? Obviously, we're in an inflationary environment. The yield curve is very inverted. How is the ETF positioned in the current environment? Oh, thanks for asking that. So generally speaking, we have a moderate long position in fixed income to mirror our beta. The yields are very juicy. So we do want to be mindful that we want to be able to collect carry or interest income along the way. Uh, and so we do have uh, a, a medium sized duration bet, you know, somewhere between six and eight years in the belly of the yield curve. We are long fixed income. Secondarily, um, we've most recently started to implement yield curve steepeners. Uh, without getting too technical, the yield curve, 
is at its most inverted level in history. And we believe that the investment expression of 2023 will be catching the reversal of that inversion or that um, deeply inverted flat yield curve, rotating or shifting back to a positive or steepening slope. And being able to capture that over the next six to 18 months, we believe will be a, a, a significant investment expression this year. Uh, and then thirdly, uh, on the on the option strategies that we look to buy, uh, you know, taking advantage of the Federal Reserve cycle, whether they're going to overshoot or undershoot, um, we're starting to look at strategies that they will probably end uh, uh, at a lower rate than what the market psychologically is currently pricing. Interesting. Interesting. How do inflation in expectations play into this, Neil? Because typically when you think about tips, you know, they outperform if inflation comes in above expectations, they underperform if inflation comes in below expectation. Do you take that into account? We, we certainly do, uh, Sumit, but here, here's the thing. One of the largest misconceptions in fixed income is that tips or treasury inflation protected securities outperform if inflation comes in above expectations and, and vice versa. And, and, and what I mean by that is, is that tips are some re for some reason are always a default long strategy to fight inflation. However, when you actually do the work, you find out that tips only work part of the time, even though inflation currently is elevated, meaning tips tend to perform pretty poorly during a Federal Reserve tightening cycle. And the reason for that is, is that the Fed is seeking to reduce inflation expectations by raising the interest rate. And in this cycle, as you know, they have raised the interest rate at the fastest pace in history. So they have done a fantastic job of reducing those inflation expectations, not just in the short term, but when you look out three years, five years, or 10 years in those expectations, they have kept them solidly anchored to the ground during this entire cycle. So tips have performed very poorly as a result of that. And, and so that my point is, is that when you're in periods of above trend inflation, such as now, tips are really a bad instrument. And it's a big misconception in the industry. Now, that begs the question is, when do tips perform or when do you want to own tips? And, and, and the short answer is you want to own tips when the Federal Reserve starts cutting the interest rate. Why is that? It's the opposite. Instead of reducing inflation expectations, in that instance, when they cut the interest rate, they're trying to reflate the economy. And that's when you want to own tips. So we don't currently own any. Uh, we haven't owned any really since this time last year. Uh, and we don't anticipate owning any until the Fed stops raising the interest rate and we get squarely in front of the first interest rate cut. And then we think tips will be a, a, there'll be a place for tips in a portfolio. Got it. Got it. That's counterintuitive, but super yes, interesting. It is. Now, Neil, it's a good time, I think, to talk about one of your other ETFs, RDFI, which is a fund that invests in fixed income closed end funds. I know a lot of people are interested in fixed income today with yields at multi-year highs, but how does investing in fixed income closed end funds work? So, so first of all, when we think of fixed income uh, broadly, there are 11 asset classes and about 300 plus fixed income closed end funds in the universe that trade on an exchange to choose from. And those asset classes are, are, are some of the traditional ones, such as investment grade credit, high yield credit, 
leverage loans, emerging market debt, municipal bonds, uh, U.S. treasuries or U.S. aggregate products, you know, et cetera. And you can go down the list to get a little bit more idiosyncratic, like convertible bonds, et cetera. And then there's about 530, 550 closed-end funds in general. About two-thirds of the universe are fixed income oriented. So you've got a pretty big list to choose from and a pretty broad base of asset classes to select from. From there, you want to start with asset allocation. Uh, traditional, either, either if you're a tactical manager and you live in a world of three to nine months, you want to run a traditional asset allocation model of what will have the best projected returns in that time frame. And if you're more medium to long-term oriented, you know, you'll look, use an asset allocation model that, that looks at projections three to five years out, et cetera. Uh, from there, you want to apply some level of fundamental analysis on individual closed-end funds, Sumit, uh, to, to narrow down the universe. Uh, in our case, we scrub the sponsor's balance sheet, uh, including looking at their earnings profile. We want to ensure that they can meet their distributions that they've committed to and not end up cutting their dividend because they're not earning enough um, income themselves to cover that. And then from there, it becomes about security selection using, uh, in our case, a proprietary uh, closed-end fund model to identify which closed-end funds are expensive uh, uh, or undervalued. And, and that's the secret sauce. If somebody wants to talk about that, they can give us a call. But we spent a lot of time and, and, and financial resources building a proprietary model to understand what the appropriate valuation is for a specific closed-end fund. And, and that's the approach overall. You, you know, narrow it down with the asset allocation, do some fundamental analysis, and then understand the valuation methodology associated with a specific closed-end fund, uh, et cetera. And that, that's how we operate. And then to answer your second question, uh, Sumit, uh, how do we apply that to an investment process or an ETF? And in this case, the Rareview Dynamic Fixed Income ETF. So the symbol on that is RDFI, uh, Romeo Delta Foxtrot India. And it, we, we believe it's an innovative, an innovative ETF that seeks to combine uh, the traditional benefits of a dynamic fixed income strategy uh, with the non-traditional advantages of closed-end funds. So I'll just give you a quick breakdown on each one. When you think about dynamic fixed income and those traditional benefits, you, you, you get a blended approach across these asset classes, right? You get structural, tactical, idiosyncratic opportunities and investment managers across fixed income. Secondly, um, you get some level of protection. Uh, there's flexibility to, to use stabilizing assets and hedging positions uh, for, for providing potential downside protection or to preserve capital. Um, and then finally, you know, with the, the broad array of asset classes in a dynamic fixed income strategy, you can aim to deliver sustainable income. And now this is where it gets interesting, you know, as we apply closed end funds and the non-traditional advantages. So as far as I know, closed end funds are the only instrument that's investable that has three potential sources of return attribution saying it differently or said differently, you can make money three different ways. The first one is a high distribution yield. Uh, so while the cash instruments are certainly having a high distribution currently, given where interest rates are at, uh, in the case of closed-end funds, based on how they're structured, uh, you know, they trade at a discount, they use a moderate amount of leverage, that distribution yield is somewhere between 8 and 10%. So it's very chunky as a starting point uh, in terms of a cushion in case something goes wrong. 
The second way to make money uh, it, it was what I call market beta, which is just either principal appreciation. So each individual bond, closed end fund, the NAV has the potential to appreciate um, in different asset classes. So you can make money if the if the if the fixed income market repairs or if the Fed Reserve embarks on a cutting cycle. And then the third one, which is where we really fit in, is alpha generation. You have the potential to generate alpha through changes in closed end fund discounts to their net asset value. And that's where our proprietary methodology uh, fits in. So we're constantly looking for undervalued closed end funds. And when they reach our fair value, we will sell those out and then go look for a better reward to risk opportunity elsewhere in a different closed end fund within our asset allocation. So that marrying the benefits, uh, both traditionally and non-traditionally using dynamic fixed income, but instead of using the underlying cash bonds, we use closed end funds for those reasons to be able to uh, you know, potentially generate returns three different ways. We find that to be a, a very enticing combination when it's done correctly. So Neil, you talked about making money three different ways. How much of the return comes from the reduction in the discount typically, and what causes the reduction in the discount in these closed-end funds? Uh, sure. So depending on the year or the uh, market regime or environment, uh, when we look back in our uh, performance, as well as just generic uh, index performance, we find that at any given period, 30 to 50% of the return will be generated from, quote-unquote, arbitraging that discount to net asset value on an ongoing basis. So I would say that it is the dominant portion of the return profile in a closed end fund product. Uh, the other two being, as I mentioned, principal appreciation and then the high distribution, uh, principal appreciation at the NAV level. And then the third one being the high distribution uh, yield. And then in some cases, if you apply risk management or risk overlay process to it, that could be an, another attribution of positive PL. But for the most part, uh, the anchor to that is the changeovers in those discounts to net asset values. So in, in a perfect world, if the sponsor is running their business correctly or their fund correctly, the, the exercise that you're asking about is pretty mechanical. It's not uh, arbitrary or subjective. Uh, what I mean by that is, is that interest rates and leverage costs uh, tend to drive movements in the discounts. So for example, the average closed end fund uses about 0.3 leverage. So for every $1 they have, they go out and borrow and they end up buying about $1.30 of underlying assets. That's a moderate amount of leverage in our opinion. But when interest rates rise, short-term borrowing costs also rise commensurate with that. And if those short-term borrowing costs rise, then the cost to run that closed-end fund or acquire that leverage becomes more challenging. And as a result of that, the discounts should widen out in response. Uh, secondarily, they will widen out in response to um, the forecasting that a closed-end fund may cut their distribution yield in response to them not being able to earn um, enough money to pay out the distribution that they committed to. And these are just mechanical or math formulas uh, when that happens. So to the extent the Federal Reserve stops raising interest rates or embarks on a cutting cycle, and those leverage costs then start to become lower or get reduced, those discounts to net asset values will begin to narrow. 
And the ferocity of that narrowing will be determined by how fast the Federal Reserve uh, is cutting interest rates. And usually when they do cut interest rates, uh, they tend to cut them much faster than they raise them. It, it, actually, statistically, it's almost two and a half times as fast. And the reason for that is, is that the Fed tends to overshoot. They broke something in the system, so they have to quickly recalibrate to get back to a neutral equilibrium rate for the economy. And when that occurs, those discounts tend to ricochet or even rubber band from a very wide level back to a narrow level You know, during that, 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 that four to eight month period. Got it. Got it. Super interesting. And Neil, you have another fund, RTAI, which has a similar strategy of investing in closed-end funds, except this one's focused on munis, right? That's right. Uh, so interestingly, uh, the municipal bond closed-end fund universe is about one-third of all of closed-end funds between stocks and bonds. So it is by far and away the largest sector of all of them, uh, including the most liquid uh, in terms of trading on an exchange. And so we view this as a complementary product to the Rareview Dynamic Fixed Income One. Uh, RTAI is just the Rareview Tax Advantage Income One. The, it invests only at the municipal bond sector level. Uh, and in this case, you get the potential tax efficiencies or tax benefits uh, at the federal and the state level of investing in municipal securities. Uh, and so for our standpoint, what we do is, is is we offer both one generally fits into a taxable account and one typically fits into a non-taxable account or, or qualified account versus non-qualified account. Uh, and so we want to have exposure to, to both of them. Uh, another reason uh, to have this or to look at it uh, is that, you know, as you know, the, the, the municipal bond cash market is probably three to three and a half trillion dollars large. And there is um, significant scope for an individual or a fund manager who holds the majority of their exposure in a cash municipal bond to rotate 10 or 20% of that into a municipal bond closed end fund. And the reason you would want to do that is, is the same reasons I mentioned before. You get a higher distribution yield. In this case, because the volatility profile of municipal bonds is, is, is typically lower than other fixed income asset classes because it's government backed. They tend to use a little bit more leverage than the broad universe. So instead of on average around 0.3 times, they use around 0.4 times. So you get a pretty, a, a pretty meaningful pickup in that distribution yield in municipal closed end funds over cash municipal bonds. And then of course, if the Federal Reserve again cuts the interest rate, you'll get the benefit of that potential appreciation at the NAV level. And then finally, as I mentioned, it's the largest sector in all of closed end funds and the most liquid. It gives you uh, a, a real potential to generate alpha through uh, changes in, in closed end fund discounts to net asset value. And when you combine all of that, where you get to buy a municipal bond closed end fund at a discount, that uses a, a, a rules-based amount of leverage uh, and has a very high distribution yield, that combination over three, five, 10-year periods um, has demonstrable outperformance over cash bonds. And you want to have some exposure to that um, if you have a portion that you don't need to uh, uh, have back at, at, at a maturity, your principal at maturity, as these are ongoing closed-end funds. Uh, so you you just get a little bit more bang for your buck on a portion of your municipal bond overall exposure. 
Gotcha. And, and finally, Neil, I want to talk about your equity ETF, RSEE. It looks like it tries to generate alpha through investments in global equities. What's the secret sauce behind this fund? <laughs> so uh, you're right. It is, uh, uh, first off, let me just kind of give you the background and then I'll, I'll kind of get into some of that. Uh, so broadly speaking, when you're a, a equity holder in a growth portfolio, a seminal investment issue for that investor is uh, staying invested, avoiding a catastrophic stock market sell-off, uh, minimize the time back to break even. That's the that's the holy grail in stock investing. And RC, or the Rareview Systematic Equity ETF, the symbol RC, uh, is a potential solution uh, for investors uh, who want to remain invested, but they need a systematic process that aims to limit the losses relative to global indices in bear markets. And at the same time, you want a product like RC or what differentiates it is that it's it's constructed to not miss the next bull market or quote unquote, the turn back up. So what we think about it in this case is that it's a reimagined approach that seeks to beat the major benchmarks and limit a drawdown. It's a long, short, systematic equity strategy that avoids human behavioral biases, meaning it's an algorithm, it's systematic, it's quantitative, there's no human element associated with it. Uh, and then bigger picture, it provides index exposure to global equity markets, um, uh, just the major four. So U.S. large cap, U.S. small cap, non-U.S. developed markets, uh, and emerging markets. And and I would look at that as it's it's a, it's a dynamic source of potential uh, 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 portfolio return and diversification. The the ETF uses techniques that are traditionally implemented by alternative investment vehicles. And the and the secret sauce is, in our opinion, is that it's designed as I, as I mentioned, it's really designed to get long when it needs to get long get short when it needs to get short. It's not about the garden variety corrections of 5 to 10% in the stock markets, but really avoiding the catastrophic loss that you can't recover from. Uh, and then turning around and getting long when it counts, and then being long for that period where the markets trend higher. And that, in our opinion, addresses the seminal investment issue, which is how do you stay invested and don't miss those top five or top 10 days of the year when the stock markets are up the most, because that's when all the gains are pretty much um, harvested. Gotcha. And, and how is it positioned today? It's such an uncertain environment, right? We're in a bear market, but also, you know, the market seems to be holding up a little bit better than some people expected. So currently, the strategy that drives the ETF, the model, is long all four of the regional sub-indices. Uh, so the, the S&P 500, the Russell 2000, EFA, and MSCI Emerging Markets. And it's been in that profile since the first half of January. Uh, and importantly, it should just be noted that it had not been in that profile uh, since around 18 months prior. Uh, so right now, it's, uh, it, 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 it's long global equities. It is, uh, uh, believes in the, the model that it's in currently that a cyclical bottom was made um, in December, or early January in the U.S., uh, and that 
in the bigger picture uh, or longer term, we have now returned to a normal market environment, which typically happens around 81% of the time anyway. So last year's environment where it was a stressed environment, uh, which in our models happen around 17% of the time, we have uh, formally transitioned from a stressed environment to a uh, normal environment. Well, that's a great place to end it, Neil. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thanks so much for your time and sharing your insights with us. Sumit, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to work with ETF.com. Look forward to talking to you guys again in the future. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find this and all other Exchange Traded Fridays episodes on ETF.com or any major podcast platform. 